Thanks for tuning in to the Forgotten Voices podcast. I'm Supriya with my fellow co-host, Kate. Um, Kate, want to take it away? Awesome. Kate speaking. Just because it's our first episode, everyone know, uh, the mission of our podcast is going to be bringing to light international stories about the refugee and immigrant community whose voices tend to be drawn out by quickly evolving international news. Thanks, Kate. Um, so today's episode will be focused on Yemen being abandoned again. So for those of you who might be unfamiliar with the Yemen crisis, it started in 2011 with the Arab Springs uprising, lack of turnover to the new political party, which thus resulted in a coup. Houthi, which is Iranian-backed, supported those that started the coup, as well as the opposition party in government. Then Saudi Arabia got involved in the war and small terrorist forces also gained territories, such as Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other local militias, which started um, wars both locally and internationally. So the current internationally recognized Yemeni government is Saudi-backed, which um, Aden being its base of power. So the news lately has been covering that the cases in Yemen are on the rise, but AP also reported that the Houthi rebels have been starting a huge cover-up of the amount of COVID cases affecting the North, which is what they control. Um, there's been reports of information being suppressed about the virus, severely, severely punishing those who speak out, um, not really enforcing any social distancing or masks, and promoting claims that the Houthi minister of, uh, that the Houthi government is coming up with a cure for COVID to present to the world. Um, something else you might have seen is uh, photos have been circulating around social media of, um, in, of giant mass graves filled with uh, bodies that have been disinfected and covered up with, pe with people with full PPE gear to um, bury, bury the Yemeni dead. Um, officially, the rebels say that only four cases of coronavirus have been t detected in the regions they control, which all of us know cannot be true. But local unions who have been keeping the death tallies from the coronavirus have reported 46 medical staff, 28 judges, and 13 lawyers died in a three-week period between mid-May and early June, which you have to consider is only a small group of the amount of people who are actually being affected by this. These are the people that have someone who cares enough to write their names down. Um, and then the Yemeni health minister is blaming the cover-up by the Houthis to prevent panic and hurt, um, and to prevent, one, to prevent panic and also to prevent fighters from not wanting to fight for the Houthis anymore. And so something that we wanted to bring attention to today is uh, the number of COVID death rates in Aden, which earlier I mentioned that Aden is the base of power for the um, Saudi-backed Yemeni government. Um, and so while the Houthis claim that they only have four deaths, Aden says something completely differently. So we already know that Yemen has the worst humanitarian crisis. 80% of its population, that's 24.1 million people, required aid um, with half on the brink of starvation. Plus the UN has lack of funds, meaning only half the rations for eight and a half million Yemenis with around 2 million children under five suffering from acute malnutrition. Um, just some stats I wanna give to you guys to kind of you know keep in the back of your mind as we continue our discussion is that prior to COVID, 2 million children were out of school. Now additional 5 million are out of school and almost 10% of Yemenis rely on remittances, which even that has increased up to 80%. 
Um, local medical authorities and doctor doctors without borders report that in Avid, and sorry, in Aden, um, COVID deaths could exceed wartime fatalities. And so, in just the first two weeks of May alone, there were 950 deaths, nearly half the number of casualties the city suffered in all of 2015, when the Civil War was at its peak, as streets were covered in bombs and houses blasted with bullets. Um, and So unlike how in the United States and maybe some European countries in um, Yemen, along with coronavirus, they have um, cholera and the chikungunya um, disease at an all time high right now. So they had the biggest modern outbreak of cholera in April of 110,000 cases. So let's recall that the war has already decimated the country's health sector. And then now we have cholera outbreaks, chikungunya, COVID, and the war is still going on. It's, it's, it has not ended the humanitarian crisis with the hunger, you know, and just worse and worse with 20% of the country's 333 districts having no medical doctors. And it's just worsening as the pandemic also worsens. Um, and, So this next statistic is just going to probably blow your mind as it did for Kate and I. Um, The country has no more than 500 ventilators and 700 ICU beds nationwide. There is only one oxygen cylinder per month for every 2.5 million people. So I just want everybody to kind of take a deep breath and process that stat. Um, I mean, if you think about the U.S. and the U.S.'s response, we have been considered one of the worst responding countries in the world. And if you think back to March when we were all fighting about ventilators and ICU beds and if we were going to have enough, like one state had this many and people were like, that's not enough. So the number is absolutely shocking considering the panic that arose in the United States and like the lack of infrastructure that the Yemenis people have to support themselves when something like this occurs. And, and I think um, something that, you know, a few people I know might blame is, well, the coronavirus is impacting their public health infrastructure, but that's not actually true. So the head of the UN humanitarian operations in Yemen said that, um, I quote, we are billions short of our minimum target. A week before the first COVID-19 case was confirmed in Yemen, we ran out of money and had to stop allowances for 10,000 frontline health workers across the country. Several, and I mean several physicians are worried about coming to um, work. A lot of local hospitals have been shut down in Yemen because the fear of, you know, themselves getting the disease and just several other diseases, a lot of hunger centers things like that have been closing because of the lack of sanitation, just any form of public health infrastructure you can just think of. It's, it's gone. And the international community is also pulling out at a time like this. They were, the UN was having trouble raising the necessary funds, as we said before. So 30 of their 41 programs in Yemen are going to be closing if they can't get more funding in the next couple of weeks. Wow. Which is just crazy. I mean, if you think about U.S. involvement in other conflicts, not even U.S. involvement, international involvement in other conflicts and the amount of money that we've poured, it just has paled compared to what we've done in Yemen. Some of that not being necessarily outside organizations' faults, as if you've seen Yemen on a map, it is 
you have Saudi Arabia to the north and then water, which has been blockaded all the way around. So people can't even get in to help, even though they want to. And those that do flee to those neighboring countries are then, you know, these countries also have their own form of civil wars going on. And so you're just going from a war to a war. Which one is the better war, the safer war for you is really what the question has become now. Right. And I think there is always talk about how big nonprofit organizations don't maybe donate all the money that they have to the causes that they're supposed to be supporting. But in Yemen, it's a case of who to even donate to because mm-hmm. do you trust the Saudi-backed Yemeni government? Do you trust the Houthis? Like the real victims of this crisis are the Yemeni people. And in all of this international chaos, they have been totally abandoned in ignored and let's not forget as we mentioned earlier that there are local militias and local groups that are also blocking off um, smaller borders so we really really don't know the full extent of what is going on um right and like like we said earlier the Houthis are reporting four cases of coronavirus which is absolutely not possible um considering what's happening in the south uh and around the world so there's not even like a constant, reliable flow of information coming in and out of the country. So the international community doesn't even have an idea of where we're at and what needs to be done because they're not getting reliable numbers. And I think it's interesting that the Houthis have been only reporting four deaths. What do you think about that, Kate? I, I was trying to figure out why, because the more deaths you report, the more odds that you're going to get international help. But I think that what the Yemeni government um, health minister had said is probably true. They don't want to start mass panic. They are not technically the head government of Yemen. So any signs that they're not governing in a correct way could possibly lower the influence they have in the region. But also, like, they just are trying to blame it on someone else the Saudis really Mm -hmm. um, to try to gain some footing in the war. Right. Because we have reached that point in the war that um, Saudis are trying to back out to end the war. I mean, it's been going on since 2011 almost. And it's a lot of money. I know um, the U S also has kind of leverage over Saudi saying you need to stop this. Um, Right. So if you guys remember, there was a big standoff in Capitol Hill over whether we're still going to send aid to the Saudi Arabia coalition. Um, And recently, senators have asked um, Pompeo to boost U.S. support for Yemen peace efforts. On Tuesday, last Tuesday, a bipartisan group of U.S. senators asked Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to pressure Saudi Arabia and Yemen to accept a broad ceasefire um, and work on ending the conflict, which Pompeo has not responded to with. It's ironic that we're trying to pressure Saudi Arabia to end the conflict when we could just not fund the conflict. But as we have seen in the past, the U.S. has tried, the Congress has tried to stop arms sales and the administration has been able to bypass that and continue to sell weapons. Um, Senators now are emphasizing that it is more important than ever as COVID-19 is in reality going to exceed wartime fatalities. 
It's also interesting because a couple weeks ago, there had been a declared ceasefire because of COVID, if you guys remember. Yeah, and I mean, another interesting point, I think, is that just this week, the UN removed the Saudi-led coalition fighting in Yemen's war from a um, blacklist of parties violating children's rights, in which, now this this is just going to blow your mind, in which the UN investigators were the ones to find that the Saudi coalition um, killed or injured thousands of children to begin with. So they did the research, they were the ones that put them on the blacklist, and now they remove them from the blacklist. And just, and so uh, the UN Secretary, Secretary General said that Arab nations supporting Yemen's exiled government would be delisted for the violation of killing and maiming following a sustained significant decrease in casualties due to airstrikes since March 2019. Yeah. It just, how the UN um, could possibly take them off the blacklist does not make sense, but there is a reason, as we've discovered. And it's important to note that the UN didn't remove the Houthis and the Yemen and them um, for the similar casualties. If anything, the Houthis were also responsible for 313 child casualties. So, you know, it's it's important to remember that it wasn't a one person only committing these crimes, a one group only. It was multiple crimes. And so um, this might come shocking to some people. But in reality, this has happened in 2016 as well, when um, allegedly the Saudi threatened to cut off funding to the U.N. programs. And at that time, they were removed from the blacklist of government forces um, for that time as well. And. There are reports that something similar could be going on right now. You look at how much money Arab nations have given the UN um, last year compared to this year. You're seeing from a billion dollar donation to millions of dollars. You're seeing a significant decrease. And, you know, earlier we talked about how lack of funding, lack of support has caused so many hospitals to be closed and just everything. And who knows if that's related Right. And I think at the end of the day, if the Saudi Arabia government wants to get out and the Houthis obviously want their power, but they also probably do not want to continue this war that is just decimating Yemen, there needs to be some sort of sitting down and talking and trying to get this out. And people are going to have to take blame. And considering the UN removed Saudi from their human rights violations. It's going to be really easy for Saudi Arabia to sit down and be like, we're not on that list, but you are. And that is going to be a shame. And that will be a consequence of this that might not be foreseen now, but could have really big implications in the future for ending the war. And I just want to leave everybody on a final thought um, for today's episode is it's, it's really important to remember that there's really not one group to blame or one community to blame. Um, you know, take your time to sit down and list out all the international community partners, the WHO, the UN, all the different um, groups that are involved with Yemen. It's, it's much, much more complex than us just trying to blame potentially Saudi Arabia or us trying to blame the United States. Um, it's, I think, very important for folks to remember that it's about the Yemeni people 
and um that's that's who we should be fighting for i think yeah and i think another big thing propagating this problem is that the general public is not very aware of it so there's not giant mass out outrages and like people just don't really know what's happening in a way where like when war crimes were happening in vietnam or even in the middle east people were more aware of what's happening and i think there's not reliable news on either side there's no really good way to figure out what's happening on the ground and so the general public is just left unaware it's really important we have only touched an inch of the grand surface that is the conflict that's happening in Yemen. We said it started in 2011, but if you really look back, the roots of it have started hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So informing yourself is super important. Informing yourself with hopefully unbiased news, but more importantly, like international news is going to be a really good way to get involved. And the only way that we're going to support the real victims of this tragic war, which are the Yemeni people. There's not a side that anyone should be on other than the Yemenese people's side. Information is going to be the way to do it. And, you know, please, please reach out to, you know, your local representatives. It truly does make a change. I know, I'm sure you guys hear that over and over and over again, but it's never enough for the Yemeni people. Um, Reach out to us if you want more information. Absolutely. We know a lot. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for tuning in and check your feed next week for our next episode of Forgotten Voices.